Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. He's placing that bread and those fish in the hands of his disciples who are then going out and distributing it to others. And so, the closer you are to Jesus, the more miraculous, the more supernatural your ministry, your service will become. Today we finish Pastor Sam's message, A Heart of Compassion. We are in Matthew chapter 14 and we'll begin in verse 20. Looking closely at just some of the miracles performed by our Lord, we get a wonderful insight into the heart of our Lord, and we hear him speak words we all need to hear, do not be afraid. Here's something else. We, we read that they all ate. Literally, they were all filled or glutted. We know that because when they took up the fragments, they took up more than they passed out. There are numerous lessons practically here. I mean, one just being you can't outgive God. You give God your lunch and he gives you back basketfuls of whatever you entrusted to him, whatever you delivered back up for him and his use. But, but something else is going on. Those who were on the outer extremities, on the, the outer perimeter, maybe drawn in because, hey, we're going to wait and see what's going on or what he has to say today. They all got fed. But the closer you were to that center where Jesus was, that circle around him, well, the more chance you saw something happening miraculously. You see, I doubt that everybody in the crowd even realized a miracle was taking place. I think once they saw free lunch, people were just like, hey, free lunch. And and nobody's worried about how are we getting this free lunch? Where is it coming from? But the people closest to Jesus, and this is how it will always be. They not only saw a miracle, they participated in it. Now, the miracle was happening in his hands, but get it. As he breaks the bread and distributes, and he breaks the bread and distributes, and he breaks the bread and distributes, he's placing that bread and those fish in the hands of his disciples who are then going out and distributing it to others. And so, the closer you are to Jesus, the more miraculous, the more supernatural your ministry, your service will become. And there are lots of believers, and and I talk to them all the time, that's just sort of, how's it going? And they're like, man, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like God's doing much. They're all close to him. It doesn't matter where you work or what you do or where you go to school or where you live because God wants to move supernaturally. God wants to move miraculously. But the real key isn't trying to pray it down or make it happen or conjure it up. No, the key is simple. It's just draw near to him and say, Lord, what do you want to do? You see, he's looking today at the multitudes. He sees as they were in that day, they're still weary. They're still scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And he and he alone has the ability to meet their needs. But he wants to use you to be a distributor of his grace, of his gospel, of his good news, of his mercy, of his resources, whatever those resources might be. So... If you're laboring for the Lord and you're not really getting results, then just change and, and labor with the Lord. If if things are kind of dry and difficult, then just acknowledge, Lord, I'm not cutting it, I'm not making it. I don't see I don't see it happening. And then he'll say, Well, 
let's do something then, because he's got a plan to meet the needs of the weary masses. Well, all were filled, 12 baskets full of the fragments remained, and those who were eaten were 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, the first miracle... It's a miracle for the masses, for the, the multitudes. But there's something else. God is so resourceful that what he's really doing in meeting a practical need is he's training his disciples to trust in him, to rely upon him, to look to him, to, to watch him work where they can do as they had figured out nothing. Well, at this point, he begins to take them a bit deeper, as it were, a step further. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side, and he sent the multitudes away. Now, I'm amazed at how the multitudes respond to Jesus. There is just power and authority because when he says, sit down, they do. And when he says, hey, hit the road, they go. But at this point, what he's going to do is he's going to pull aside, pull away, in fact, having done this, we find at least four times in the Gospels him doing this very thing. Having sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. This was a chance for him to just be intimate with the Father, to talk, to listen, and also to intercede for his disciples. And it provides us with yet another wonderful spiritual and applicable picture. It says, when evening had come, he was alone there. But the boat was now, verse 24, in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the sea, or the wind, was contrary. It's a physical picture, and it was a serious situation. But again, their extremity, God's opportunity. There, there's a, an application, of course, for us. Because Jesus, up on that mountain, praying interceding for those disciples in intimate relationship with the Father, no doubt you see it. That's exactly what's happening as we're gathered together down here. Now, this part today might not seem like much of a trial. Hopefully not. But but your day-to-day -day experience, you certainly are facing storms and trials and tribulations and situations that stress you and press you. And And, and here's the picture. Jesus is there now, not on a mountain, but at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And he's doing the very same thing he was doing on that mountain that day. He's talking with the Father, he's listening to the Father, and he's interceding for each and every one of us. We who are still facing the trials, the tribulations, the storms, the adversities of this life, he's up there praying for us, interceding for us. So... Up in heaven, there's peace. But down here on earth, well, there's problems. And out on the water, the wind and the waves were making the disciples' journey difficult. Now, about 3 o'clock in the morning, or sometime between then and 6 a.m., Jesus comes to them. It's the fourth watch, so we know that that's going to be the last watch before dawn. So fourth watch of the night, verse 25. Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now, there are those who try to disprove the miracles of Jesus. And, and it's kind of, well, it can almost be fun reading the things they come up with. Uh, although, if that guy, you know, any of them were actually teaching down the street, I'd be warning you, stay away from there. I mean, guy's a heretic. But sometimes you just look and you think, you know what? 
Anybody who's thinking at all would know this is silly. In fact, with the loaves and fishes, do you know what scholars have come up with as a solution and a suggestion to how that actually happened if it wasn't a miracle? Because you've got to know. There are lots of people writing commentaries, standing in pulpits, teaching the Bible, that don't believe in the miracles of Jesus. I have problems with that because, uh, A, if Jesus can't do a miracle, can he save me from my sin? Will he be able to resurrect me in the last day as he promised? Well, you know I believe in all that the Bible tells us he did, and I know most of you, I hope all of you believe in it too. And if not, hey, I hope you come to be a real believer in the power of God. Right, but here's the deal. With the lunch, they say, well, what happened is when they saw the generosity of the little guy, you know, they had those big robes and they had big sleeves and everybody had their own lunch. And so what happened is, you know, when they see how generous the little boy was, they were convicted and they took out their lunch and everybody shared. And there was so much lunch that they had 12 baskets full left over at the end. Well, that's just bizarre and stupid, you know, and. And here they come up with an idea to, I mean, I don't know a better way to say it. Oh, I'm not supposed to say stupid, though. That's a bad word. I remember little children. It's bizarre and idiotic. Um, and so, in any case, when they talk about Jesus walking on the water or later Peter walking on the water, which, by the way, is a more notable miracle. I mean, it's one thing for God the Son to walk on water. It's another thing for just a guy like us to walk on water. And Peter does. But what they say is, well, if you read the stories carefully, right at the end of this, it says the wind ceased and they were at the shore. Now, we know they were in the middle of the lake here. And so what happens is they're faced with yet another miracle. How did they get to the shore so fast? But what they suggest is, no, they were already at the shore. It only appeared that Jesus was walking on the water. It only appeared that Peter was walking on the water. But then again, we're faced with yet another problem, aren't we? When Peter get, began to sink in that ankle deep water, why did he even cry out, save me or help me, you know? Why? Well, because he was really sinking and because they were really in the middle of a lake and there was a serious storm going on and they were all afraid. In fact, we know they were afraid because they were acting foolishly. They were troubled and I've noticed that fear often leads me to think irrationally and illogically. Now, I'm not afraid all the time, fortunately, but from time to time I get a little fearful and when I do, I begin to imagine all sorts of possible scenarios. They're never good. And, and so what happens here is, is um, they see Jesus walking on the water and they say, hey, I think it's a ghost. Now, I was thinking about this and think about it with me. Consider it for a moment. Were they seeing ghosts regularly? I mean, how would they know if it was a ghost? I mean, is this a common occurrence for these guys? You never read about it before this. You never read about it after this. But for some reason, they're scared they're a little logical and irrational and they see somebody coming and they're like, it's a ghost. It's got to be a ghost. And they were afraid. Never forget years and years ago when Brian, Kevin's little brother who plays bass with Worship Generation, he was at our house and the power went off. And I don't know why you do this stuff to little kids. I mean, you probably don't, but it gives you a little insight into how badly I needed to be saved because even as a pastor, I was doing these things. And, but, you know, the lights went out and I started going, you know, that kind of thing. Just having a little fun, you know, and Brian's like, that's not real. That's not real. You know, that's like a kid's response to that. You know, it's not real. You know, and he's getting closer and closer to me just in case. But the whole thing is that's kind of these disciples at this point. They're freaking out for no good reason. Now, oftentimes, Jesus would give them commands. This isn't the first time they've been in a storm. Last time he was in the boat, they woke him up and said, we're going to die. We're going to drown. We're going to perish. 
And he said, you have little faith. And he just stills the storm and, you know, deals with that. But in any case, they see him walking on the sea. And the disciples seeing him on the sea, verse 26, were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke up to them or spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. He gives them really three commands. Cheer up. Well, two. Cheer up. He identifies himself. Hey, it's me, fellas. And then he says, stop being afraid. He, he recognized they were fearful. He doesn't really rebuke them for it. He gets it. And he just says, look, cheer up. It's me. You don't have to be afraid. And I think for some here today, that's truly going to be a word from the Lord. That these words of our Lord are alive and they're meant to not just say this is how we dealt with problems in the past but this is how he'll deal with your problem today and no doubt some here are fearful today going through something where you're getting a little irrational and illogical and maybe you've talked to people and they've said you're starting to lose it you know you're you're starting to go over the edge you better talk to somebody no listen you don't need to talk to somebody you need to listen to somebody and here's the one you need to listen to listen to the lord he's saying cheer up it's me. I'm here. Stop being afraid. Then Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. I got to stop there for a second. It's amazing to me because if you've read this story or even if you hadn't and haven't, a little bit down, we're, we're going to see Jesus rebuking Peter. He doesn't rebuke him first, though, but, but I've read a lot of commentaries over the years. I'm always trying to stay up on my reading. And even though I understand the passages and I've got the his, history and I've got the grammar, I still like to read because those people encourage me. They cause me to think of things maybe I wouldn't or see things from a different perspective, living in a different generation or at a different time. But, but, but here's the thing. We often and people often look at Peter like, well, the guy really faltered in his faith. I, I want to suggest to you his faith was so much greater than anyone else's in the boat. Why? He was the only one stepping out, you see. And I've noticed lots of Christians kind of stay on the sidelines and they watch someone step out and they watch them falter because that's going to happen. I already said, if you step out, eventually you're going to falter. You're going to have to rely on and trust in the Lord. And they kind of sit on the sidelines and, and they say, see that? That's what happens, you know, and I knew that that guy wasn't going to be able to do it, or I knew he was, listen, step out of the boat yourself and see what it's like out there. And, and that's really what I think a word that, well, God would have that for some of us too. If you're sitting on the sidelines kind of looking at others skeptically as they seek to serve the Lord and in all the ways we do and all the ways we fail, it's so important to know that the man of greatest faith among those disciples that day was Peter. Did his faith falter? Yes. Jesus is going to teach him through that failure and that faltering. But Peter was a man of great faith. He was the one guy who thought, if you say it, I can do it. Now, there's something else here, and it's, it's subtle, but I want to bring it to your attention. There are a lot of people today teaching, if he did it, we can do it. I want to tell you that's not necessarily the case. Jesus did a whole lot of things and even commanded a lot of things that a lot of people are saying, well, if he did it, we can. And I'm saying, okay, show me. That's just me. See, from Missouri, the show me state. I want to see you do it before you tell me I should be able to do it. And the bottom line is, it's not we can do it because he did it. We can do it if he commands it and wills it. And there's a huge difference 
A huge difference. You see, anything is possible with God. The real question is, what does God want to do? What are you trying to do, Lord? What's your will in this situation? First John nails it in chapter 5 when he says, if we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know we have the petition we've made of him. But the key words are according to his will. Oh yeah, we got to ask. We got to seek. We got to knock. But if I'm asking and I'm seeking and I'm knocking and the Lord's saying, no, not my will, not going to happen. Not now, not ever. I can ask, seek, and knock forever, and it will never happen. And that's a good thing. I'm grateful for it. But if it's his will, I don't even have to ask, seek, and knock. All I got to do is ask. And he says, he's gonna, it's going to happen. Why? I'm asking in accordance with his perfect will. And Peter kind of got that. For all his mistakes, and he was a guy who often put his foot in the mouth and, and often made mistakes, Peter was a guy that really did have faith in the Lord. So he says, if you command me to come, see, not just if you allow me, he, he understood, command it, and I'll, I'll, I can walk on water. And so he said, come. Just one word from the Lord, and the impossible becomes possible. Just five loaves and two fish in the hands of the Lord, multitudes are fed. One word from the Lord, and a sinner like Peter a person like you, a person like me, steps out of a boat and begins to walk on the water. Well, how does Peter go then from this wonderful experience of, of walking by faith, walking in the spirit, as it were, to failing in the flesh, to experiencing that sinking feeling he's about to sink and feel? Well, it says that, that having come down from the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus but when he saw, verse 30, the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. I don't even have to point it out to you. It's obvious what happened. He took his eyes off of the Lord and put them on the situation, on the circumstances. And immediately he ceased to walk by faith. He ceased to walk in the spirit. He began to sink. And that's what happens to me every single time. The moment I survey the situation without considering Jesus, without factoring him in, whenever I survey the, the, um, the trial or the tribulation that I'm or you're going through, I'm like, man, th this, is, this is a hopeless situation. This is a, a hopeless mess. We're, we're a helpless people. But if my eyes are fixed on him, well, that's not going to happen. And Peter, as we all do, began to look at, well, it says he saw the wind. That's kind of a weird phrase. You know, you really can't see the wind, but you can see what the wind does. And he certainly felt the wind and he heard the wind and he saw the waves. But his eyes were no longer fixed on the one who had commanded him to walk by faith and walk on water. And so there he goes, no longer walking by faith, no longer walking in the spirit, but now he's sinking in the flesh, literally. And so he began to sink. And then he prays the shortest prayer in all of Scripture. And by the way, if you're one of those people that's got those 10-minute introduction to your prayers, you really haven't found yourself at the point of extremity often because short prayers can be very effective. And here's a very effective and wonderful prayer. Lord, save me. And I'm sure that Peter meant it. Something else happens here that kind of challenges me as a pastor teacher. 
I have a tendency, I have to be honest with you, to want to figure things out or help people figure things out, sort of as a prelude maybe to meeting some practical need. Now, I don't, I know that that's not necessarily the Lord. I'm just being honest that that's something I've struggled with. Someone comes and they begin to tell me the need and, and my tendency is to want to say, well, Let's figure out how you got in this mess in the first place. And let's see if we can't work on a solution so this doesn't happen to you again. Now, I'm not saying that's not good advice or good counsel or something that should happen. But what I notice with our Lord is almost without exception. And I say almost because it's possible there's an exception, but I can't really think of one. I'm just leaving room in case you find one so you don't have to come back and say, hey, you were wrong about that. And so uh, almost without exception, I find our Lord rescues and then he rebukes. You see, he is going to, to, to first grab hold of the need and, and meet the need at hand. And then he's going to do some instruction as a result. And that's what he does with Peter. And, and that's what he's been so faithful to do with me. Peter says, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And then he taught him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I mean, he heard the word, he heard the command come and he walked by faith. But then the doubt came when he began to look at the situation and say, and you know, it all happens relatively quickly. You know how they say when you're about to die, your whole life passes, you know, before your eyes. I think Peter maybe had that experience and he thought, I'm going to drown. You know, what am I doing? I'm walking on water. And, and the thing is, the moment he began to sink, he began to cry out. And, and, and I encourage you to do the very same thing. In fact, I'm certain, absolutely convinced, there are some here today that need to pray three simple words. Lord, save me. I'm sinking. I'm not walking by faith. I'm not walking in the Spirit. I'm not even sure what it means to walk by faith or walk in the Spirit. It may be that your need today or your perceived need is relational or financial, or maybe you struggle with drugs and alcohol, so you're trying to get clean or get free. or It could be a dozen other things, but I want to tell you, your ultimate need is spiritual. And until you can say, Lord, save me, well, then you're saying, man, I just need some relief or I just need some help. But Peter knew the Lord, and, and, and he reached out to and for the Lord. Lord, save me. And that's what some of you need to say today. Not deliver me from my drug addiction or my alcohol. Yeah, that's a need and that'll happen. Or Lord, help me put together my marriage or reconcile with my child or my parent. That Those are all important needs. But the first and the primary, the most important need is spiritual and it's eternal. And you need to say first, Lord, save me. Because when he saves you from your sins, he makes you a new person. And that new person will be able to hopefully reconcile those relationships, will certainly be able to get free of those drugs or alcohol or anything else hindering you. Well, in any case, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And they got into the boat and the wind ceased. Fourth miracle. It's kind of tied in as you read the other. The wind ceased and they were at the shore. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. It's my hope that every person here would be able to say that today as we prepare our hearts in a moment to worship yet again together, to just say, Truly, Lord, I worship you. You are the Son of God. And having crossed over, they came to Gennesaret, 
the men of that place recognizing him, sent all from the surrounding regions, brought to all, brought to him all who were sick. They begged him that they might touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Here's an opportunity. What you need today, what I need today, is simply to either cry out, Lord, save me, if that's your situation, or if you're fearful, just to hear those words, hey, cheer up, it's me, stop being afraid. And maybe it's just that touch the hem of his garment to acknowledge that, Lord, you are the Son of God as we worship him. Why would the Creator and the Lord of the universe care enough about me to save me from anything? He has compassion for us. And don't ever let the enemy tell you differently. Remember what Paul told us in Romans 10, 11, and 13, where he wrote, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.